This podcast contains frank discussions about sex, kink and BDSM. If you're a consenting adult who wants to learn more about these topics, then stay tuned. You're listening to Chief from kinkyevents.co.uk, helping you create the dom-sub dynamic you've always fantasised about. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Conversations with the Dom. Today we are joined by Emily who emailed me a few weeks ago because she wanted to talk about something that is that is close to her and she's been researching quite a bit and that is HSV and it's not really a topic that we've talked about on this uh, this podcast at all. We haven't really mentioned STIs or HSV at all and it's not something that I would admit that I know a lot about and of course I've heard of it but I didn't know the details and so it's great to have Emily here who is going to be sharing some of the the insights that she's learned and how it impacts her situation the situation she's in so hello Emily thank you for being on the podcast well thank you for having me I'm really excited to talk about this not at all not at all so maybe if we could start off you kind of explaining a little bit about why you reached out and why you messaged and why you believe this is an important topic to to discuss. Sure, yeah. I found it important because I certainly thought that my life with kink was over when I was diagnosed with what I'll refer to as HSV like as a whole, but I have genital HSV, which is herpes simplex virus. I have version two of it, which I can go into explain more about later, but I certainly thought my life with kink was over when I was diagnosed and I was so wrong. It only got significantly better just because I had a little bit more over myself and my boundaries and my decisions after that, which was an interesting thing to find out. But I wanted to sort of be a voice for those who are in kink, who have chronic STIs, specifically HSV, and let them know that it's not over. <laughs> it can only get better and not to worry about it. That's Great. amazing. Yeah, thank you. I mean, maybe let's start at the beginning. I'd lo- I'm going to love sure. to chat about your dynamic and how it affects your dynamic. But maybe for those who aren't that familiar with it, with it you mentioned their HSV mm-hmm. stands for herpes simplex virus. And there's two mm-hmm. types. Could you maybe give us a bit more about it, what it is and how it how it kind of what the symptoms are, I guess? Sure, sure. So I definitely was undereducated as far as STIs go when I was diagnosed. I I was only on my fifth sexual partner when I was diagnosed and I was 36 years old, which was like a huge shock. But I had to do a lot of research real fast to figure out what my life was going to look like. So what I learned was there's there's a lot of different kinds of HSV, even shingles, which like a lot of older people get, that's a herpes virus. But the most common one is HSV1, which is cold sores. The next sort of most common one, a really, really close second is HSV2, which is genital herpes but both of those can live in either place, which is really important to know. I did not know that. And they don't teach you that in school, that you can actually pass your cold sore virus, HSV-1, to somebody genitally, and then they will for their life carry HSV-1 genitally, which looks no different than HSV-2. It's the exact same thing, more or less. The medical community views it as the exact same thing. And the medical community views it as no big deal, which is why they don't really test for it, which I can get more into in a second. But my first talking about sort of symptoms like you asked there, my my first flare up or outbreak was pretty bad. The first one, your body's really getting used to 
what's happening to it. To put it simply, your body's trying to figure out like what's happening and what to do about it. So I did have sores genitally. I had a really bad throat infection. I felt like I had the flu. Oh, what else? It was painful to urinate for like two weeks. And I had I had like nerve pain down my legs and across my buttocks, which happens because herpes virus lives in your nerve ganglion. It's not bloodborne. It lives literally in your nerves and then just comes out to your skin when it feels like it. That was my first flare up. That was six months ago now, but I didn't experience anything quite like that since then. It's literally been no big deal since then. And this is most people's experience. They have one really bad outbreak at the beginning, which is how they come to find out um, that they have HSV. But since then, maybe every month or two, I'll have a flare up, which turns out to usually be one very small red dot, Mm. like on my like outer labia, usually, and I don't even notice it's there right away. Most of the time, I'll notice when I do my little like inspections of myself to make sure that I'm still not or to find out whether I am or am not in a flare up to be safe with my partners. And I take some medication in that time, it goes away in a week, and then I'm back to normal. Mm. And I don't look any different. I don't act any different. If I have partners that I'm going to be with that are also HSV positive, then that's fine. I don't have to avoid those people in those times. Or, yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's a good because, explanation. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. And that's because a flare-up is when it's most likely to to, to spread, right? And yeah. Do, do you know if it can spread at other times? If it's absolutely yeah it yeah. can the when you're having a flare-up the virus is at the surface of your skin in that moment and it's it's clear and indicated to you that it, that it's there at that time but you can still shed the virus any other time without symptoms which is how a lot of people will pass it from their mm-hmm. mouths to the genitals of somebody else unfortunately predominantly ends up being women who get it who get hsv genitally because men tend to show less symptoms or be asymptomatic not that women can't be but it's just more prevalent that in that way but shedding just means that the virus is sort of coming off of your body in some way it's at the surface and it's coming off of your body but because the medical community doesn't see it as a big deal it's just a skin rash um it's it, no one's dying from it. Mm. People tend to be just fine. Generally speaking, if you're healthy, it's no big deal. Mm. So they haven't done a lot of research as far as how often the shedding actually happens and for how long it happens. So there's all sorts of percentages and statistics out there about, you know, from different organizations that have done a little bit of testing, but it's it's they haven't all come to an agreement on what those numbers are. So even if one you know organization says, oh, you shed for five percent of the days out of the year, is that a whole day? Is that twenty four hours of shedding the virus? Is it one out? Is it a minute of shedding the virus? They don't even know that. So it's kind of a coin toss on whether you're you're shedding the virus or not. You're more likely to be during the first year of your diagnosis if you know that. But. It- <laughs> anyone could be shedding hsv at any point Mm -hmm. and not know it even anyone who doesn't have any symptoms asymptomatic carriers are a significant portion of the population that actually have it Mm. and i was i was more people are yeah i was reading i went on to the i did a a google after we first spoke and it said on the hopkins hopkins medical.org that 50 to 80 percent of americans have HSV, mm-hmm. HSV one, so the the mm-hmm. oral oral herpes version, but you know, and then they may get a cold sore. But other than that, it might just be 
they don't know about it and they've they've never had a flare mm-hmm. up and it's just it's just in there. Yep. And then it, it then it also said like I think like you you suggested that HSV one most commonly transmitted through kissing and oral sex, but HSV two mm-hmm. is more sort of intercourse. Is that what yeah you, definitely that what you've sort of when you've looked looked and studied that. I mean, is that true? That was that was me doing a quick Google. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think m- mostly just because if you have it on your genitals, you're probably not touching anybody else's parts of their body other than like sexually with that part of your body, right? So yeah, yeah I think the number of or the statistic for the a number of people who actually have symptoms with like both HSVs is there's only like 20% of people who are symptomatic. So if you take your number of up to 80% of people that already have it and 20% are symptomatic, there's a significant number of people who are just giving it to everybody Mm -hmm. all of the time. Mm -hmm. And then those people might go on to be asymptomatic, but they might encounter somebody who may be immunocompromised or their bodies do show symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I suspect that's how I ended up in the situation. I was with somebody who I, I can only assume was asymptomatic by the way that he handled the situation afterwards, which was not good. But um, I mean, what w- what could you have done at that moment if you if you don't know that you have it and you just what can you do? Yeah, mm. that sounds quite frustrating because mm. obviously, if you I don't know, let's take a a cold, for example. If you have a cold, Mm. then you may try to limit your contact with your partner or, you know, you're not going to be feeling well anyways. So you're going to be like, whoa, let's hold off. You know, like I'm feeling a bit sick. I don't want to get you sick. But with herpes, I mean, if it's just if it's just asymptomatic anyway, then you can be very innocently, you know, like. And I and that I don't want to try to throw guilt on there, but like you can be like going around and, and enjoying a healthy sex life and not knowing that you you are potentially you know spreading herpes. So I think that mm-hmm. must be very frustrating to be on the receiving end, obviously, and also on the giving end, like for this thing that may not even show symptoms in the first place. Mm. Hmm. I guess I should make clear as well that if you're asymptomatic, that doesn't mean that you don't shed the virus. It just means that you don't have any of the like typical like blistering or yeah. I mean, actually, there are a lot of people out there that just think it's a shaving rash. Like if if I didn't have my fir- very first flare up in the way that I did and it was so textbook HSV2, if it had happened instead the way that I experienced them now, I'm not sure I would know that I had anything. I would just assume that you know, like vulvas are are such like an interesting part of your body. There's things happening down there that you don't have control of all of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like a little like a little bump pops up here. And is it an ingrown hair? Is it like, did I catch myself with a razor? Did I wear underwear that my body didn't like that day? You know, it could be it could be anything. So I can see how it happens. But what I wish is that people, instead of thinking of genital herpes as this disgusting, the you know taboo, the STI, stay away from them. It, it, I wish people would just understand that it's literally just a skin rash, and if you don't want to catch it, then you just have the most protective sex that you possibly can, and you be open with your partners. But otherwise, if you're not immune compromised, generally it, it's fine. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm curious about the the, t- the testing because obviously, if if a lot of people mm-hmm. do have it and they don't know, I naively perhaps thought that 
when you go for a routine and I go for regular STI checks mm -hmm. that they would include herpes check as part of that. But I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I know they check for kind of gonorrhea, HIV, chlamydia, chlamydia and syphilis, Probably I believe syphilis. as well. Yeah. But yeah, thinking of it, I, I've never, I don't remember seeing on that test thing herpes. So what's the what's the situation do they do they test for for mm -hmm. it unless you ask so a real short answer to that is no they do not i can speak for the usa and canada more specifically because that's where i've sort of done my research with it um so i i say i'll say again the medical community doesn't really care about hsv because so many people have it don't you should, shouldn't worry about it kind of thing right so because it's no big deal, nobody's dying from it, and everyone's just fine. 80% of the population is living with it, everyone's fine. They just don't have it on the screening. It doesn't live in your blood, and it doesn't live in your urine. So that's also another reason. Most SCI panels are one of the two, mm, or a swab, true. something like that. Um, but it's not. It's absolutely not included in North America on it on your average STI screening. Of course, nobody nobody tells you that or you think that it's no big deal because your doctor is not recommending to be tested for it or anything like that. So in the US, the way they do test for it and you have to ask for it is that with antibodies testing by a blood sample. So they'll test at certain intervals what big antibodies measure at like within your blood that and those antibodies specifically attack the HSV virus. So if you're really high, in antibodies, as far as I understand, then you could have the virus within your body or exposed to it. Now, that testing is actually very unreliable. There are other options in the U.S. There's something called a Western blot, which I think is run by the University of Washington. It's a couple hundred dollars, and it's pretty much a definitive answer. I'm pretty sure in the U.S. they also do PCR swabs, which is what they do here in Canada, where you have to have an active outbreak to actually do that testing for it. So again, if you're part of that population that is asymptomatic or thinks you just have a little something going on and that's, you know, whatever, normal shaving rash, new laundry detergent. If you don't have anything, then you, there's, there's no testing that can happen. So that, that's, how, that's how I found out was with a swab. And the way that works is that actually it, a PCR tests for the DNA of the virus on that little swab. So you know that 100% for sure it's there. Like the DNA can't be there if the virus is not there kind of thing. As far as I know, there's no antibodies blood testing in Canada for it. And again, like what would you, how would you even comprehend a positive on an HSV screening with antibodies if you didn't have any symptoms and you never had a cold sore and you just had these antibodies and somewhere in your body lives an HSV virus? Like is is it, is it a big deal? Like, do you just get cold sores every once in a while? How do you know that that HSV1 that came up positive is on your mouth or on your genitals? Or how do you know that that HSV2 that came up positive on your antibodies is not actually in your mouth, which is a rare circumstance, but does happen. Mm. So it's just, it's so, it's so wishy-washy within the medical community. <clears throat> and that's the most frustrating part for me. <laughs> yeah, understood. Yeah. So, and, sorry. So, so medically... It's not a big deal. However, mm -hmm. obviously, there is stigma attached to STIs in general, and people hear the word herpes and perhaps they go, oh no, like I don't want that, even though, I mean, that's most of the population has the virus, probably, mm -hmm. you know, at least the majority. So, 
how does that come into play then in your experience like what has it felt like trying to deal with the with that sort of like misinformation Mm -hmm. and fear that is attached to the label of STIs and and HSV right luckily I've never had another STI cut you know at the at the time when I was sitting in the doctor's office and I was about to be diagnosed please just let this be chlamydia and I can slam some antibiotics and be done with this in 10 days but this is the one and only that I've had so far um but for me the the stigma is really frustrating but I've had generally a pretty good experience with like sexual partners or potential sexual partners or even just friends and family and whatnot I'm very open with it you know there are people that I choose not to tell in, in my life of course but all of my friends know about it it's not it's not a secret for, that I keep from them it's part of who I am and I'd like for them not to be scared of it I'd like for my potential sexual partners to not be scared of it and uh, truthfully I've disclosed that I have HSV to countless men and I think I've been rejected twice like dozens and dozens of times I've had that conversation, you know, be it mostly I'll disclose to somebody if it's going to be a casual situation, because then I can disclose like right up front and we can decide if we want to move forward or not. And I've rarely, rarely been rejected. And most of the time they're quite nice about it as well. And I can take that opportunity to sort of educate them in that moment about why they might want to make their decision, not to try and change their mind, but to help them understand the situation. I had one person say, I'm out because I'm 100% clean. And I was like, ah, you don't know that. You've never been tested for it. So <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> but if that's all you need to know about me, see you later. <laughs> just like moved on. Um, so this, this, this stigma is a really big problem for, for us. But if I, I find if you just talk about it and you're open about it and it, it, it's not it's not scary like what is what is scary I mean the shaving rash that I get is way worse yeah. than any flare-up you know first one aside way 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 worse and you know like I, I, I I've shown up to a guy's house before and been like oh my gosh like please don't mind like I have like I'm just you know shaving rash here whatever and been really worried about that but there's no stigma about like your disgusting shaving rash right you know like you get like pustules from it and like ingrown hairs and that sort of stuff and no one there's no stigma about the shaving rash even though we're all doing it to have like to be sexier and to have sex right and I'm curious how it affects your your dynamic so how have you because <gasps> oh, yes. I think this was the main the main thing when you yes. emailed that you wanted to to describe how it's impacted and how you maybe change what you do with your partner. Yeah. Keen to hear about that. So I do have a daddy and I also have casual partners here and there as well. We're not exclusive to each other. And I actually met him the very first time that I met him. I was having my first outbreak. I didn't want to stop like dating or anything. I still needed to learn a lot at that point, but I was just being careful with my body and he was the very first person I ever disclosed to. I think it was like 10 days into my very first outbreak. And I just like blurted it out to him when we were on this this date. And on this date is when I discovered that he was kinky. I'll ne- actually, I'll never forget the moment. He, we, were, we were making out in his truck and he took me out stargazing. And he like graced his hand past my neck mm-hmm. and I, I inhaled sharply. And he was like, <laughs> I, I know what this means. And then like from there we've we've had our like dom sub dynamic like ever since then um 
it's evolved a lot over time. And there are things that we do and don't do that are just within his boundaries and mine. For example, the biggest one, which would probably shock a lot of people, is that we've never had penetrative sex. Like he's never, his penis has never been inside of me. And that's a boundary that he set pretty early on just because he was going to continue to have other partners, you know, date and whatnot. And he just needed to learn more about it. So it's, it's definitely like it's on the table for at some point in the future. But the biggest thing that I've learned from him is that like that is not always doesn't have to be part of a sexual relationship or dynamic because I have the best sex I've ever had with him. And he's never gone down on me and he's never been inside. But we still have an extremely fulfilling dynamic. Huge. Yeah. I, I mean, can we, I'm curious what, what sort of things you do do, if that's ah. not too personal. Yeah, no, not at all. I, I checked with him in advance as well. And he's, he said, I can say whatever I want. So <laughs> I mean, you've heard um, what I've said on the podcast. So I mean, yeah, there's yeah, not much you can't say. Uh, excellent. Um, so I mean, it started, it started a little one sided with me, like, hand jobs, blow jobs, that sort of thing. And he would he would dom me in a way that wasn't like I wasn't leading to an orgasm for me at all. Just because he this was like the first couple of times that we were together, but he would still in such a satisfying way, like dom me like, you know, like the typical stuff like ho- holding me down, choking me just like rough handling and stuff like that, which I, I enjoy so much and find very fulfilling anyway. Um, and then that sort of opens up conversations as far as like, you know, like, what are you comfortable? How how are you comfortable touching me? You know, like your hands are pretty safe. Like H- HSV has a lot, a really, really hard time getting through the skin on your hands because it's quite like thick skin. It prefers to sort of pass through mucous membranes, which is why a lot of women get it or people with vaginas. But so that's sort of how it started. And then it quickly sort of escalated from there. And he, he is so good with with his hand like I can't so good he's he's he taught me a lot of things I didn't know I was a squirter before meeting him he just like went for it one time and it shocked and surprised me that that was something that I could do and really enjoy now so much we use a lot of toys which is really Mm -hmm. fun I'm not sure we would use so many toys if we did have like a penetrative or like penis and vagina like situation like if we were doing that we probably wouldn't use as many toys I, I suspect but we have a really good collection at this point we've even done like a clone willy which is so fun which is really easy to screw up making it um, is I, I can attest I've done it I've done two and maybe three actually and only one works but it's it's very yeah. hard it's very hard it's so hard to do the first one like turned out pretty okay we need we, we're like we can do a better one so we're gonna do a better one sometime soon but he's really good with like like simulating like actual actual like penetrative sex he's really good with that like with his hands or with toys and i mean there's all the like all the other sort of like doming stuff that we we like so much as far as just being like tied up and you know pushed past my limits and just meet me like serving him mm-hmm. he asked me to top him the other day which was really interesting that was the, that was the first time i knew he was into like like ass play and like anal play and stuff like that but we never really explored it before and i i had this this bright idea where i was like i'm gonna go in there and i'm gonna be in so much control like i'm in charge here <laughs> I was not in charge. <laughs> he was so in charge. He's great. He he's a really he's a really really good dom. Like he's 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 there for he's there for me in like my personal life as well. Like he's a great friend on top of being like an excellent sexual partner. Mm. 
So it sounds, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, what a classic dom-sub relationship would look like. The only mm. thing that you're not mm-hmm. doing is the, the the PIV, I guess, and you've, you've you know, worked, you work around it. Yep. It's definitely a possibility for the future, but I, uh, I, I, I care about him a lot as well, and I wouldn't want to put him in a position where he would end up with HSV and not want it. I, I, I'm very open with him about it, obviously. Like I've told him everything he possibly needs to know, but that's part of his decision as well. Like there are things like I don't, I don't always want to do like anal play myself, for example, and he respects that boundary. It's just, it just happens to be one of our boundaries. I've had sort of two different kinds of experiences with that. And really, like, the point at which it changed was at my diagnosis. And it was really strange that I noticed it at that point. Because the partners I had had before being diagnosed, it was, like, STI screening and that sort of thing. Like, health was not part of the conversations that we had in advance. And I, like, if there's any regret to have, it's that. Like, I should have had those conversations with those people. Um, Not to reject anybody but just to know to know what I know now so but after the fact is when I started hearing a little bit more from partners that like either they disclosed to me first that they had HSV and I was like boy am I gonna surprise you with something (laughs) (laughs) me too I'm coming over which has happened multiple times and it's been really funny but um so it's almost like there was this turning point of okay like this has to be part of the conversations from now on like who am I comfortable with at what levels of like protection and what levels of like intimacy or like kink you know like more open about that and I do I do disclose to every single partner that I may even potentially have this is not something that I keep to myself because uh, potentially that was my situation like at I assume the the guy I was with was asymptomatic, but it, he could have had it and just like not told me. Mm. And I'm not going to put anybody in a position that they don't want to be in. So usually I'll say something along the lines of like, I, ha- I have HSV. I take care of my body. So I'm low risk. You know, I don't play when I have a flare up, like unless you're positive too. I don't know if you know anything about it. Do you have any questions? Mm. It's a real, real simple. I keep all of the science out of it because then it just gets scary and people you know, run away from it. And most of the response that I've had is just, well, what does that mean for us? I'm like, well, we need to use protection. And they're like, cool. And I'm like, we were going to do that anyway, because I don't want what you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever you have. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I hope that answers that. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of protection, have you ever used a dental dam for aura, for example? Because even though I know that dental dams exist to have oral sex safely when a partner has a STI I've literally never even seen a dental dam in my life I just I just know that they're a thing that happens but like you never actually hear about it it doesn't it doesn't sound like like a sexy thing it's not like a condom where people play with it it's like it's a dental dam yeah yeah because it's just a little square piece of like latex or whatever material it's made out of and you have to hold it there so I think people just like you said think it's not sexy and don't use them I've I've never used one but I'm also not concerned about contracting HSV1 from anyone anymore because like I've had cold sores like as a kid so I know it's like in my body even though it's not active so actually I should say as well that like once the virus is in your body it's sort of HSV1 prefers to live in the mouth and HSV2 prefers to live in the genitals but like I said they can live in both places but once it's already in your body you kind of have some antibodies built up for it so you can kind of fight off anything that sort of like comes in after and it's already in there so it doesn't matter but so I've not I've not used dental dams before but there is this company called Laurels out there that makes kind of underwear made out of the same material 
fun. And apparently it's quite good. Like I saw someone on TikTok said the sensation was about like 95% the same as nothing at all. So I'm going to hop on that real soon. Yeah, but, that sounds um, a lot better than trying to hold like a little thin sheet of, of <laughs> I don't know, what are you, latex and try to Sleep. keep it from yeah. shifting and like having to yeah. keep in a certain position. Mm. If you can just like throw on some pants that allow for you know mm -hmm. hands-free experience then yeah 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 that's exactly it actually that kind of reminds me of something that like me and my daddy will do we'll sort of we'll we'll, we'll simulate the things that we that we don't do I kind of said like with toys we'll do that but we'll also like I'll I'll sit on his face like in my sweaty gym for example because he he really like these are all things that he wants to do and that I want to do and it's just the boundary like he doesn't not want to have sex with me or go down on me he really wants to but just you know, that's where it is for now. But we'll like sort of simulate those things by like, I'll, I'll sit on his face, like, like I said, in my sweaty gym clothes and just and like, he'll really enjoy that. So there are sort of like there are other fun ways to do those things, mm -hmm. even though we don't do it 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is yeah. super fascinating. I'm glad. Thank you so much for informing us more about this, because it's something that I I know vaguely of, you know, I've I've read a few times and and I'm always like, oh, that's interesting. And then I just kind of, you know, I I, I don't know, I, I've, I haven't really done the research. So thank you for doing your part in informing us about it. But I did mm -hmm. want to ask you how having HSV affected you personally, like now that you have it, what has changed? How does it affect you emotionally? And what do you feel about Everything. I feel like I'm part of a club, if that's like a sort of fun way to put it. There's a really big community on Reddit. There's a Herbie subreddit that I spend a lot of time on, either like help helping support people or like finding support myself. Um, there's also apps specifically for people who have like chronic STIs. There's positive singles. I've met a lot of really wonderful men off of positive singles. A couple of bad ones as well. But but yeah, like there there are communities and things out there for people with HSV. So there's there's tons and tons of support. There's a lot of varying opinions on how people like handle their diagnosis and how they handle it in their daily life. Like there are people who know that they have it and they don't disclose, and they'll have unprotected sex with other people and pass it on somewhat intentionally, which obviously is not okay. That's, that's, that's the opposite of consent. I've definitely seen a lot of people sort of blow up about that on, on the Reddit from the U S like, Oh, sue the guy, mm. take him to court. But I mean, like HSV can live in your body for years before it even prevents itself as well. So like a lot of people don't actually know when or where they got yeah, it from. So how, how can you prove yeah. any of that? Yeah. So it, yeah, it's not really, not really a thing, but yeah. So how, it, how it sort of affects me. I've, I've joined all those, those communities. Like I, I want to be, I want to be a part of it. And of course it's something I think about every day, especially because really it's still, it's only been six months. It's still pretty new. To me it's not even been a year so there's still things i need to learn about how it uh affects my my body like after a year am i gonna have a monthly or every two month flare-up or not because it should decrease over time and of course i've had moments where i thought my life was absolutely over that i would never be loved that i would never go on a date again like great that idiot <laughs> that i got it from was the last sex i'm ever gonna have that was so not true. Just really, really not true. You just you just move on. A lot of people understand that it's just a skin condition and that it's not 
it's not scary. <laughs> it's not disgusting. I'm not disgusting. No one is. Um, so I just try and be positive about it and break the stigma and come on podcasts like this and talk about how kink is still, a, you know, it's a huge thing for me and, and really, really important to me, even though I have a chronic STI. <laughs> Yeah, we we thank you very much for coming on. Is there a parting message that you would you would want to leave people with? I think that if at any point you suspect that something's going on down there and you are wondering about going to the doctor and having it looked at, just go because it could be something or it could not be something. But what you don't want is to sort of turn a blind eye to it and then expose other people to it who it may be more serious for. Like I said, somebody who's immune compromised, they could have a hard time with it. And you don't want to be the person who has put that person in uh, that situation. But uh, I guess as well, like it, it's not a, it's it's not really a big deal <laughs> because mm. so many people have it. So many people have it and just stay informed. You can still have a really fun time. You can stay protected or not if you don't want to. I kind of went back and forth a little bit on that there, like saying get tested, but it's not a big deal. But this is where we're at in the world with where it is like yeah it, it's it almost feels at, at a transitional point where people are starting to like maybe understand it a little bit more there are clinical trials starting to come out in the u.s for therapeutic vaccines as well as like preventative vaccines so it feels like a bit of a turning point so for now everybody should stay safe and get tested but not judge people for having very for good. having Absolutely. STIs. Absolutely. <laughs> staying safe, staying consensual in all forms, mm -hmm. you know, and this is this is one of them. So, yeah. 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 Yep. Well, amazing. amazing. Thank you so much for for sharing your <laughs> insights on this topic, because like I said, mm. it's not something that I, I'd known much about. And I definitely feel yeah. more educated now. And hopefully listeners will be feeling the same. And if maybe there are some listeners who have herpes out there and they're feeling better about themselves or you know, I hope so. <laughs> or, or feeling better that the message is getting out there that maybe it's not as bad as everyone is making it out to be. So hopefully we've you've helped people realize that. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you everyone for listening. And we all hope that you stay kinky, stay safe, and lots of love and spanks from Chief Muano and Emily. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Chief from kinkyevents.co.uk, helping you create the dom-sub dynamic you've always fantasized about. 